Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica, wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea. I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis, a charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me. Those eastern winters, I can't endure them So every year I pack my gear and come out here Till Purim, Rosh Hashanah, I spend in Arizona And Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi But in December there's just one place for me Amid the California flora I'll be lighting my menorah Like a baby in his cradle I'll be playing with my dreidel Spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the sea I'm spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica Wearing sandals, lighting candles by the sea I spent Shavuos in East St. Louis A charming spot, but clearly not the spot for me Those eastern winters, I can't endure them So every year I pack my gear and come out here to Purim, Rosh Hashanah I spend in Arizona And Yom Kippur way down in Mississippi But in December, there's just one place for me Amid the California flora, I'll be lighting my menorah Like a baby in his cradle, I'll be playing with my dreidel Here's the Judas Maccabeus, boy if he could only see us Spending Hanukkah in Santa Monica by the sea Fashion Radio For a new generation The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program on this um, Good Friday edition. At least we started out that way. We're going to shift gears, uh, as you can tell, 
possibly already by that introduction from uh, Tom Lehrer about spending uh, Hanukkah in Santa Monica, that we're going to um, talk a little bit about Jewish culture this hour in honor of Rosh Hashanah, which, uh, which begins at uh, sundown today. And uh, we're going to bring up the Posen Library with the uh, editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of uh, Jewish Culture and Civilization. Um, she'll be joining me here in uh, just just a moment or two, Deborah Dash Moore from the uh, University of Michigan. And um, the Posen Library's uh, groundbreaking anthology series has been called a feast of Jewish culture in ten volumes by the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, it explores a variety, breadth, and depth of Jewish creativity. Uh, in um, volume eight, for example, uh, it it focuses on the period of time between the first and second uh, world wars. But it's um, basically it's it's a collection of uh, Jewish writing um, almost throughout history. Well, it is kind of throughout history. Anyway, like I said, it's it's almost an encyclopedia, um, the, the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization in 10 volumes. Uh, Deborah Dashmore coming up in just a moment or so, but I thought I'd mention that while Easter is coming up this Sunday, we're going to do a, a kind of a tribute to Easter on Monday, which is when Canadians will be celebrating Easter. So it'll be Easter Sunday in the U.S., Easter Monday in Canada. And on Monday, we're going to... Um, I went through the archives when I saw Easter was coming up and, and thought uh, that maybe I would pull some... Uh, interviews that would be appropriate and we're going to kick off Monday with one that is especially good with investigative journalist uh, Elizabeth Dias from Time Magazine and she um, she put together a book um, where she talked to spiritual writers, religious leaders and artists posing them questions that Jesus asked to get their responses and um, pretty interesting uh, pretty interesting that's coming up on Monday but uh, let's uh, let's let's go to Deborah Dashmore <music> And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour specializes in 20th century American Jewish history, which is timely since uh, Rosh Hashanah begins at sundown tonight. Um, she is a professor of history and Judaic studies at the University of Michigan, and she joins me now by phone, Deborah Dash Moore. Deborah, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. Thanks, Tom. And, and do I say happy Rosh Hashanah? How, how, what, what is the appropriate greeting for that? Yeah, actually, Happy New Year. Uh, Shana Tova, um, is, uh, that's the Hebrew version, um, is uh, very much appropriate. It's the same greeting, you might say, for you know the 
January 1st, New Year, but the character of the New Year is a little different in Jewish tradition. Still, it's a happy time. It's the beginning of a, um, of a new year, and people bring their hopes and wishes for a good year, um, a year of sweetness, a year of health, um, a year of happiness. Deborah, I mentioned that you specialize in 20th century American Jewish history, and and I want to try and understand what's significant about that and, and what caused you to want to specialize in that. But let me ask this first, and then we'll just go where it goes. Have Jews fared better in the U.S. post-World War II than in other countries that they may have relocated to? Oh, definitely they have fared um, better in the United States um, in comparison to other countries of the diaspora. Um, when you think of you know, the Soviet Union or France or Britain or Australia or many countries in Latin America, uh, the comparison that's usually drawn, however, is between Jews living in the United States post-World War II and Jews living in what becomes the State of Israel in 1948, right? which is not diaspora, right? That is um, the Jewish state. And so when people think about those years um, following World War II and into our current century, they think about the United States and American Jews as sort of the representative diaspora country and Israel, of course, as the Jewish state. And what's it like to live in Israel as compared to living in the United States? However, to go back to your question, if you compare the United States to other places where Jews were living in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, whatever, um, there's no question. Jews in the United States really flourished in those years. Well, let's let's talk about that. Um, 1947 and the establishment of Israel. What determined who would go there and and who would settle in other parts of the world? So that's a really good question, and um, it relates to the outcome of World War II and what were called displaced persons or DPs, people who uh, survived the war, Jews who survived the war, many of them um, in the Soviet Union, not very many, um, let's say, in Poland, right? Over 90% of, of Polish Jews were murdered by the Nazis. But they, these Jews had fled eastward, they come back, and then the question is, where do they go? Um, and Zionists had been working for um, decades, many decades, to try to build um, a Jewish state uh, in the land of Israel. And they, um, they very much wanted to welcome uh, those survivors um, as well as other Jews throughout the world, Jews in, in Arab countries, um, uh, they wanted to welcome Jews from the United States as well, but there were relatively few Jews um, who were uh, Zionists in the United States in the years prior to World War II 
it expand the numbers expand after the war, but they uh, include support for this new Jewish state in Israel, um, but they don't necessarily include the decision to actually go and settle there. Some Jews from the U.S., of course, do go, um, really committed Jews um, uh, from Zionist movements, but most of them do not. Deborah, can can I add something or, or ask something that, sure. that may be a little parenthetical? But um, can you help me understand better what being a Zionist means? Oh, <laughs> sure, I can try. So Zionism is a movement that's associated with a, um, a man named Theodore Herzl. Um, who was a playwright and a journalist and who has this vision um, in the end of the 19th century when a man named Alfred Dreyfus, who was a, um, uh, an officer in the French army, is falsely accused of treason. And Herzl is struck by the venomous hatred uh, against Jews by, by the French, um, not just against Dreyfus, but against all Jews. And he comes to the conclusion that Jews really are a nation and they're an anomaly. They have no place of their own um, in Europe. And what they need is a state. And so he calls the first Zionist Congress in 1897. And Jews come from around the world, including the U.S., um, and then there are lots of versions of Zionism that grow up. There are versions of Zionism that emerge that aren't focused on a state, that say, yes, what we need is the uh, reimagination of Jews as a people. Well, there's a, a rabbi uh, in the United States named Mordechai Kaplan, and he, he talks about a kind of spiritual Zionism. He says, Jews are a people in the United States. They live in two civilizations. They live in an American civilization and they live in a Jewish civilization. And Zionism is a way of expressing their Jewish peoplehood. Then there are Jews who are Zionists and say, well, we're socialists. And uh, what it means, we bring socialism and Zionism together. And we're interested in creating a kind of socialist utopia in Palestine. And that's the birth of the kibbutz. And so there are really a variety of different kinds of Zionists. Ultimately, the what are called political Zionists, the ones who say, no, the goal of Zionism should be an establishment of a state, are the ones who um, achieve their goal. Um, and uh, the other forms of Zionism tend to be um, forgotten. Although recently people have begun to to bring those back a bit and to recognize that there are a lot of ways of, uh, there were a lot of ways of being a Zionist and there can again be a lot of ways of being a Zionist that don't necessarily embrace the political dimensions of Zionism. Deborah, is that, a, is that a useful? <laughs> well, it's complicated, Tom. But it, but it helps me understand that it's complicated. That it, it that it yes. isn't one thing, and and That's that right. it's worthy of more exploration. More about American Jewish history with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan.
straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about American Jewish history with Deborah Dash Moore from the University of Michigan. Straight ahead. Deborah, you visit New York City frequently to see friends and family, but you've written about New York Jews. Um, in, in your first book, At Home in America, Second Generation New York Jews, um, and the phrase... And more recently, actually. Yeah, well, yeah, fa- yeah the, <laughs> of ahead, course. Yeah. Um, but I just, I mentioned that one because of the phrase New York Jews, because I've heard that uh, used as kind of a political designation. A political or a pejorative? No, political. Political. Meaning okay. New York Jews uh-huh. have a certain lean to their politics. Ah, okay, okay. So New York Jews, um, for many years, certainly up into the 1950s, um, constituted around 40% of American Jews. Um, So it was the largest, it still is, the largest Jewish city um, in Jewish history, certainly the largest Jewish city in the United States. Jews made up... um, around 30% of the population. They were the largest single ethnic group in the city. So you can imagine they they had a big impact on the city itself. Uh, and the politics, their politics, in the context of New York City um, emerged from these large numbers and especially from the fact that many of the immigrants who came um, embraced socialism. Um, they suffered uh, in terrible conditions, living conditions um, in slums. Uh, they suffered terrible exploitation in the garment industry, mostly exploitation by fellow Jews. Um, they uh, struggled against uh, anti-Semitism, and socialism seemed to be the proper answer. Um, to uh, creating a better society, a more just society. Uh, and so since politics is local, <laughs> they, <laughs> they elected a socialist uh, congressman, Meyer London. Um, and eventually, with the New Deal, many of them liked uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And so in 1936, they create something called the American Labor Party so that they could vote for him, but not pull the lever, the Democratic Party lever, because they really disliked the, the, the Tammany machine uh, that was uh, mostly dominated by Irish uh, uh, Americans at that time, the Democratic Party machine. And that tradition has continued. Um, uh, it, it has taken different forms. Uh, after the American Labor Party, there was something called the Liberal Party, for many decades, um, you now have the Working Families Party um, in New York. So this kind of third-party activism um, has remained in New York, although, of course, by now, lots of Jews are no longer immigrants. They're not even the children of immigrants. They're often only the grandchildren of immigrants 
living in New York. And there's also in New York City now a very large contingent of um, Orthodox Jews. And their politics is definitely not socialist. Right? Um, they tend to be supporters um, either of mainstream Democratic Party or on national levels of uh, Republican um, candidates. So, so it's, it's changed, but that's the root of it. The root of it is the embrace of, of socialism as a, a solution to the exploitation of immigrants, exploitation of capitalism. It's not necessarily a path that Jews took elsewhere as much, but when you had so many of them in New York, um, they could really make a difference, and they elected socialists. Yeah. That that um, raises an interesting question. Um, how do contemporary American Jews identify more as American or more as Jewish? Well, the answer to that is it depends. <laughs> now you sound like an economist, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, there's a lot of variety among American Jews, right? Um, and uh, and they debate among themselves, right? I mean, one of the things I, I'm I'm the um, editor in chief of a of a multi volume closing library of Jewish culture and civilization, and one of the the beauties of this multi volume uh, anthology is that it includes excerpts uh, from Jewish uh, culture uh, across many, many um, centuries. I mean, starting with the, the biblical period and and then uh, including up through the, the modern period of the 20th century. Uh, and what you find there is lots of disagreements among Jews about um, what does it mean to be Jewish, right? What's involved with that? Um, and we've included in this volume Jews who um, identify, in a sense, as Jewish through their rejection of Jewish religion, for example, um, through their criticism of, of Jewish life, um, rather than through any embrace or celebration. So, and that's true, of course, among American Jews as well. I was looking, because Rosh Hashanah is coming, um, I was looking at uh, some of the um, items in the anthology, and I came across one, um, a, a survival kit for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that was speaking to American Jews saying, okay, you know, I, 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 I don't understand Hebrew. The services, you know, religious services are very long. How am I going to, you know, manage three hours of, of services, which is what uh, standard Rosh Hashanah religious services. And, you know, he says, it's okay, you don't understand. You know, God listens to prayers in any language that you speak. Um, linger over a prayer. Um, don't worry if you fall, quote, behind. You know, they'll announce the pages and you can catch up. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that speaks to a certain cluster of American Jews. Now, do they feel more American and less Jewish? Maybe, right? Um, this is, you know, someone trying to, 
to to speak to these Jews who are often called, you know, three-day-a-year Jews because they come for Rosh Hashanah and then, you know, which is a two-day holiday, and then they come for Yom Kippur, although a lot of them no longer do the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Christians have the two-timer version of that. Uh, Right, okay. (laughs) Christmas and Easter, they're two-timers. That's it. That's Um, right, okay. But these are really close together because Yom Kippur comes 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, right? So you get one, and then boom, and Yom Kippur, of course, is a fast day, and it's, you know, not much fun. Um, Yeah. Were American Jews more welcomed in New York City than they might have been in other parts of the country? Is that why there's such a concentration there? Or is that just point Um, of entry? It was point of entry, which was really important, yes. So roughly three-quarters of Jews who came through Ellis Island just stayed, right? You know, you're here. There are other Jews here. You can get a job. You can find a place to live. Often you may have relatives. Um, why bother to spend extra money on a train ticket to come to Detroit? <laughs> right? right. Um, yeah. So I think once you had um, 100,000 Jews living on the Lower East Side, which is what you had by the, the end of the uh, uh, 19th century, um, it was, you know, it was comfortable. There were... <laughs> There are all these, you need to know English, right? You could manage in Yiddish, which is the language most of the Jews who came spoke. Um, even if you didn't speak Yiddish, you spoke Ladino or one of the other Jewish languages. You could also find a, a whole cluster of um, uh, kinsmen there. Uh, so I think that was why they stayed in New York. Um, now, of course, you know, a quarter of them left and went somewhere else, but um, most of them stayed. That well, I, I, I bring that up because I'm reminded of, of one of my favorite Groucho Marx quotes about, I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> and and right. we all know that, that, that line, and, and, yeah. and, and what a fun jab that, that really was when you pick it all apart. Um, uh-huh. but, but what about uh, that um, that anti-Semitism that immigrants of all types faced at first yes. when they come to the they face prejudice. That's correct. That's right. So you know, it's a as I, it, there was anti-Semitism in New York uh, um, that affected um, those Jews who were trying to um, assimilate and integrate into American society more than it affected Jews who were um, immigrants. But I'll give you an example that affected immigrants. Um, you had, in other words, people who, who, who weren't immigrants wanted to, wanted to go to college. Um, uh, they wanted to, uh, and, and they faced discrimination in college. They wanted to move into new neighborhoods, and they, they faced discrimination about some neighborhoods. But immigrants didn't face those kinds of problems. Um, however, let's say you were a carpenter, right, and you wanted to join the carpenters' union. Well, as a Jew, uh, you found they wouldn't take you in. So Jewish carpenters and glazers and plumbers and stuff in the building trades, ended up creating their own, what they called alteration units, 
because they weren't they weren't able to get jobs in new construction. They had to to work on altering buildings, um, uh, and that lasted you know up into the the early twenties when things nineteen twenties when things began to change. So uh, the the discrimination against Jews was was real. Um, new York State passes a civil rights act back in 1913 as a way of addressing that discrimination as well as discrimination against African Americans. It's not exactly enforced, <laughs> but it is uh, an expression of um, political concern for uh, the effects of discrimination. How did Miami and Los Angeles become known as the Golden Cities? Oh, well, that's a post-World War II story, right? Because the war, the war reaches many, many homes and, and you know, over half a million Jews enlist in the war. Um, this is, you know, they, they want to fight for the United States and they certainly want to fight against um, Nazi Germany. Uh, and the war um, brings them out to these cities. I mean... You know, uh, a quarter of the uh, Air Force um, uh, recruits who are in officer training go down to, um, they train on the beaches of Miami. Um, and people discover, oh, Miami. And, and the same is true if, you know, if you were in the going to be shipped out to the Pacific, you, you, you left from, um, often from L.A., sometimes from San Francisco. Uh, and so it opened up the eyes of these soldiers to these cities, which they really were not aware of. And uh, as a result, they um, uh, chose after the war to um, settle there. Um, in, in the book I wrote about that, one of the guys I, I write who's from the Bronx tells, tells the military, he's in the army, that um, he... he uh, he now lives in, in Los Angeles so that they will um, discharge him in L.A. And when he gets out, he tells his wife, okay, now you've got to come out here. <laughs> um, she's back in the Bronx, right? And, and eventually he brings, you know, like 18 members of his family there. I mean, it's just, you know, the sun was shining all the time. Uh, that's, this was before smog. Uh, and it seemed like... Um, you know, a kind of um, paradise, certainly a, a golden place uh, for compared to the the grimy, dirty New York City that they were used to. Now, you made reference to the Posen Library, and I want to talk about that, um, what it is and, and how it came about. So it, it is a 10-volume anthology of... Um, excerpts from uh, a vast array of Jewish uh, sources, uh, beginning from the biblical uh, period and running up to 2005. It came about um, through the initiative of Felix Posen, uh, who uh, was a, um, well, actually an immigrant himself, comes to the United States um, in the 1930s, is educated here in the U.S., um, goes on to uh, become a, a very successful 
um, businessman and then decides that one of the things that he didn't have in his education, which was a traditional Jewish education, was any sense of the breadth and diversity of Jewish culture. And uh, he brings together scholars from Israel, from the United States, uh, to talk about how one could make available in English um, all of this material. Uh, so it's it's a vast translation project as well. I think we have things from everything from Amharic to uh, Yiddish, right? Uh, translated nineteen different languages, uh, and it's also available because of when it was started in um, digital form. So if you go to look at Posen Posen Library dot com, you'll be led to uh, a site where you can gain access for free if you register um, uh, to all of these uh, resources. Half of, half of the volumes are published, half of the, the material is load, loaded up onto this uh, digital website. Digital Library, and, and it's great. It's it's got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and and yeah, and the, the full title is um, the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization. Have I got that right? That's right. You got that right. Yes. And yes. and that seems it's it's fascinating to me because it's in some ways like an encyclopedia, and in and in some ways like this this historic journal. Um. And it's it's encyclopedic, yeah, in scope, in, but yeah. it's not. But it gives you it gives you the original sources, right? Um, so you know, if you want to if you want to read um, uh, what Jewish women wrote, um, you'll get um, sources from Jewish women. Um, if you want to read about what some famous rabbis wrote, there's a, you know, there are selections, let's say, from Abraham Joshua Heschel, which is a very famous American um, uh, rabbi uh, in the 20th century. You can read what he writes. Um, it, it covers all kinds of things. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, Deborah, I'm not trying to put more work on you, but you said there are 10 volumes, and it runs yes. from biblical times through 2005. Is it, is it open-ended? Will there be a, a volume 11? Uh, at the moment, no. We're working really <laughs> hard to get all the other, uh, finish the, the remaining volumes. Uh, so um, we have half of them done. We have an... Um, uh, a sixth volume uh, coming out in 2022. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, first, first we got to get them all out <laughs> before we think about an uh, eleventh. Uh, yes. Well, it's it's a it's a tremendous uh, undertaking and a tremendous project, and uh, it it's it's fascinating, and I encourage people to uh, explore and find out more about it and and dig in and and uh, learn what it has to offer yeah i should add also that it has a lot of visual material you know art and and um uh images of of um synagogues and uh, photography just uh, it, there's some beautiful beautiful stuff um yeah 
And, of course, the pictures are there for those people that don't want to sit through three-hour religious ceremonies. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there's, there's, one, uh, there's one wonderful photograph by um, Robert Frank, a, a Jewish photographer who uh, grew up in Switzerland and then came to the States. Um, and it, he calls it the Yom Kippur East River. It's a photograph taken uh, of... Um, of the backs of uh, Orthodox Jewish men with one young boy sort of in the foreground, and they're praying. Um, it actually is mislabeled because um, Frank was not a, a, uh, a particularly learned Jew, and he knew about these high, you know, holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, but it's, it's a, a picture actually of a practice called Tashlich of um, throwing one's sins symbolically into flowing water through by throwing breadcrumbs into it and praying uh, there, uh, and it's it's a great, a very powerful, beautiful photograph. Um, if you if you go uh, go to the website and you you know uh, type in Kippur, uh, K I P P U R, you know it'll it'll pop up, um, and you'll see this uh, contemporary. 20th century New York vision of um, uh, Jews, uh, Jews at prayer outdoors right, by the East River. Well, my guest, uh, in, in honor of uh, Rosh Hashanah, which begins at sundown this evening, is uh, professor of history and Judaic studies at the uh, University of Michigan, Deborah Dashmore. Deborah, thanks so much for spending this time with me, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. Um, it's under the auspices of the University of Michigan. Um, and I guess, you know, I haven't tried. I should try. Uh, if you, you know, go and Google that, you'll come up with um, the possibility of going to my website. Um, the uh, It's got a, a longish name. It's site, S-I-T-E-S dot L-S-A dot umich, U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. And then these forward slash, Deborah Dash Moore, all lowercase, all one word and forward slash. And you'll come to me and I have a photograph on it. I actually, various stuff. I actually yeah. uh, found a link to it um, simply by Googling you, Deborah Dash Moore. Oh, you did get to it? Oh, good, because I haven't tried that. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm glad to know. Thank you. Well, Deborah, thank you for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Tom. Good to talk. Take care. Again, that was uh, Deborah Dashmore, uh, Professor of History and Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan, who specializes in 20th century American Jewish history. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <music> Hey, we're going to take a short break, but first I need to make a little correction. Uh, we're actually kind of giving a hat tip to the fact that Passover begins at sundown today. And I pulled that, in honor of that, I pulled that interview with uh, 
Deborah Dash Moore, but that interview was done on Rosh Hashanah. So, it, just to clear up any confusion. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. She wheels her wheelbarrow through streets that are narrow. Her barrow is narrow, her hips are too wide. So wherever she wheels it, the neighborhood feels it. Her girdle keeps scraping the homes on each side. In Dublin's fair city, where girls are so pretty, my Molly stands out cause she weighs 18 stone. It's 256 pounds. I don't mind her fat, but... It's not only that, But she's cockeyed and muscle-bound, Molly Malone. I know a man, his name is Lang, and he has a neon sign. And Mr. Lang is very old, so they call it Old Lang Sign. <laughs> oh, what have you done, Billy Sal, Billy Sal? Oh, what have you done, charming Billy? You took almost every cent from the U.S. government, which you spent on fertilizer, which is silly. All day, all night, Cary Grant. That's all I hear from my wife is Cary Grant. What can he do that I can't? Big deal, big star, Cary Grant. Oh, the moon is bright tonight upon the car wash. So I'm having my Volkswagen washed again. But the way things go with me, the way my luck runs, just as soon as they're finished, it will rain. (laughs) On top of old Smokey, all covered with hair. Of course, I'm referring to Smokey the Bear. Here's a famous old folk song that you all know entitled 
Aura Lee. Every time you take vaccine, take it orally. As you know, the other way is more painfully. My grandfather's clock was the best ever made by the Timex Company. Just like the clock John Cameron Swayze displayed last night on the old TV. Oh, it works underwater so perfectly, and it still makes a ticking sound. Which my grandfather tried only this afternoon, and that's how the old man drowned. Do not make a stingy sandwich pile the cold cuts high. Customers should see salami coming through the ride. Oh, I diet all day and I diet all night. It's enough to drive me bats. Got no gravy or potatoes, cause the whole refrigerator's full of polyunsaturated fats. Fairly well, Metrical, and the others of that ilk. Let the diet start tomorrow, cause today I'll drown my sorrow in a double malted milk. Oh, when you go to the delicatessen store, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. I repeat what I just said before. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Oh, buy the corned beef if you must. The pickled herring you can trust. And the locks puts you in orbit. A-OK. -okay. But that big hunk of liverwurst has been there since October 1st. And today is the 23rd of May. So when you go to the delicatessen store, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. It'll make your insides awful sore. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Oh, it's you in my life 
I feel so right knowing you're there watching over me So true, so pure, so wonderful, yeah, Jesus I believe in you So many people, they don't know you I believe in you I believe in you I believe in you I believe in you Living in the now is what he wants us to do Tomorrow or yesterday, keep him in your heart. Things will go right, knowing you're there, watching over me. So true, so pure, so wonderful, yeah, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe in you Hey, that wraps it up for today's Good Friday edition of the Tom Sumner program, starting and ending with uh, music by George Winters. That was, uh, I believe, the title track from his CD called I Believe. Um, I want to say thanks to uh, uh, everybody who tuned in today. It was an interesting show. I wanted to acknowledge the fact that uh, that uh, Passover starts uh, at sundown today, in addition to being Good Friday. And um, so I, as I was looking for um, some interviews in the archives to play, I, I pulled one from... Um, Deborah Dash Moore, and it was done on uh, Rosh Hashanah. So if it sounded confusing talking about Rosh Hashanah starting tonight, and I mixed it up a couple of times, um, it's uh, Passover, actually. But uh, before that, we talked with um, Catherine Stewart, investigative reporter, about her book, The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. And we started out in the footsteps of Jesus, a chronicle of his life and the origins of Christianity from National Geographic and historian and author Jean-Pierre Isbutz. And we've got some uh, interesting stuff coming up Monday following uh, Easter Sunday. It'll be Easter Monday in Canada. So tune in. The Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.